Hello and welcome to Talk Today, where we explore developments in science, technology, and society, and what they could mean for the future. I'm your host, Sam Barton. The topic of today has an importance in our lives that most of us may be unaware of. Today, we are talking about global insect populations. While these creepy crawlies may inspire disgust in some of us, the value insects bring to the natural world, and of course, to our world, cannot be understated. They are inextricable, vital components of our global ecosystem, and the existence of up to 40% of insect species is threatened. Joining me in this episode to talk about this ecological catastrophe is scientist Dr. Francisco Sanchez Bayo. Francisco is an environmental scientist and ecologist at the University of Sydney. He focuses on the risk assessment of pesticide contaminants on organisms, particularly their effects on birds and aquatic ecosystems, and the fate and transport of contaminants in the environment. He's been the author or co-author of over 80 articles and book chapters, one of which is the focus of today's discussion. Earlier this year, he published a paper titled Worldwide Decline of the Entomofauna, a review of its drivers. The beginning of the abstract reads, quote, Biodiversity of insects is threatened worldwide. Here, we present a comprehensive review of 73 historical reports of insect declines from across the globe and systematically assess the underlying drivers. Our work reveals dramatic rates of decline that may lead to the extinction of 40% of the world's insect species over the next few decades. The report states that the main drivers of the population decline are intensive agriculture, pollution, and climate change. Speaking to ABC Television in Australia, Dr. Sanchez-Bio said, We are not alarmists, we are realists. We are experiencing the sixth mass extinction on Earth. If we destroy the basis of the ecosystem, which are the insects, then we destroy all the other animals that rely on them for a food source. It will collapse altogether, and that's why we think it's not dramatic. It's a reality. So quite heavy stuff. So in my discussion with Francisco, we explore the roles insects play in the web of life, the details of global insect population collapse, and a deeper dive into the drivers behind it, the relationship between environmental complexity and resiliency, what is integrated pest management, and why is it a vital method for sustainable agriculture, among many other things. For links to Francisco's paper and everything else discussed in this episode, please head to talkoftoday.com. And without any further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Francisco sanchez Bayo. My name is Francisco sanchez Bayo. I'm an ecologist and ecotoxicologist. Uh, I've been working in this area of ecotoxicology at different universities in Japan and in Australia for about 25 years. Um, before that, I grew uh, my education uh, in Spanish uh, all the way from I was born there, and uh, I I did the university uh, studies in Madrid and I did my PhD as well. I came to Australia as a postdoc, and I work here in issues related to uh, woody weeds, which are the plants that invade. Uh, the countryside and that they are a nuisance for some farmers. And I worked in that area for a few years until I moved on to uh, issues related to pesticide impacts on the environment. And once I got into that um, area of research, I've been working for 25 years since then. Now, recently, I just moved to Canberra uh, to work for the Department of the Environment and Energy. I work on the section of chemical registrations because I think it's important that, um, as I realized through my my research, that uh, chemicals are not are not assessed properly, particularly chemicals that are used in agriculture, and we are doing a, a lot of damage to the environment through that uh, bad um, management. And so, therefore, so I think it's important for me uh, to come to this uh, new environment and, and help uh, my colleagues and the department in general to provide better scientific information and scientific advice about chemicals that can be used or cannot be used in, in, in the environment, particularly in agriculture, as I say, because that's the area where I've been working most of the time. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no? yeah. Yeah, so um, this might sound like a 
a weird question, but how do uh, pesticides work and what sorts of effects do they have on the wider environment? Well, pesticides, there are many types of pesticides. Uh, basically, we define three or four groups. <clears throat> the main one, which is the one that people associate with pesticides immediately, is insecticides. Insecticides have chemicals that kill insects, right? Um, then it's herbicides that kill plants. Fungicides, they kill fungi. And there's another group which we can call biocides that can kill anything, anything that is alive, right? Um, not all of them are used in agriculture. Some of them are used in, um, for veterinary purposes, for example, to prevent uh, infections in animals or for controlling parasites in pets, you know, dogs and, and cats and so on, or livestock. Um, also, they are used in, uh, in urban areas just to control um, uh, uh, pests in the houses, um, for example, termites, um, even nuisance animals like uh, rats and so on. So there are many different kinds of pesticides. So all of them are substances that kill some sort of organism, whether it's a plant or it's an animal or it's a fungi, right? And because of that, uh, they are dangerous because uh, they are not usually, they are not very specific. Uh, once that they create a chemical that can kill, for example, insects, it can kill all the insects. It doesn't restrict just to the pest insect that we want to control, right? It may kill bees as well, as it happens. And it's the same thing with the plants. So if, um, if we use a herbicide that kills a certain part particular uh, weed, it's not going to be restricted just to that weed. It's going to affect all the other plants as well. Now, how is um, the effectiveness of the pesticides depends very much on the chemical structure and in the way they are used. And that's the area <coughs> where I've been used, uh, well, I've been working most of the time in these 25 years in trying to minimize the exposure of organisms to the different chemicals that we use for controlling pests or weeds in agriculture. It's a difficult thing because, as I said, so they are not specific. All these chemicals are not specific to the pests or the weeds that we want to kill. They are very broad. Even when they, people say, well, this insecticide or this herbicide is selective, it may be selective to a broad uh, group of organisms but it's not selectable to one species or two species. For example, there are insecticides which are very toxic uh, to fish and to aquatic organisms, as well as insects, but they are not toxic to mammals or to birds, right? So it's selective in that way, but it's only a limited <laughs> selection because it's still very toxic to fish and to all the other aquatic organisms. So that selectivity, you know, and in this case, for example, I'm referring to neonicotinoids, which are very controversial modern insecticides. They are very safe for vertebrate animals like us or birds or uh, even Sorry, for fish. What did you say they're called? Neonicotinoids. Neonics. Okay. People call them neonics. Okay. They are insecticides that have been derived from the uh, natural insecticide nicotine. Nicotine is basically an insecticide. And that's the reason why the plant Nicotania tabacum produces this, this chemical, is to defend itself against the insects, right? So nicotine is an insecticide in itself. It's very effective. It's used in many countries, for example, in South America, which is where it comes from, and, and it's still used in many countries. But the modern technology has been able to modify a little bit the, the structure of nicotine to convert it in different pro, um, products so that companies can have the, the patent and they can make money, right? Of course. Because nicotine, nicotine as, as a natural insecticide, uh, it cannot be patented. So anyone can use it. We can get just grow tobacco in our backyard, extract the leaves, spray it there, and we can kill the insects. And no one can restrain us. And we cannot sell it and we cannot have a patent from that. So, but neonicotinoids have a patent. <laughs> and companies make a lot of money because of that. So neonicotinoids are the most popular insecticides nowadays. They've been around for about 20 years. And the problem with them is they're extremely toxic to aquatic insects, 
and in general to all the arthropods, animals which have capras and, and legs and so on, all of them. But they are not toxic to animals or they are not toxic to us. And that's one of the, the reasons why they are so popular, okay? Because we can use them quite safely. Whereas other insecticides were very dangerous to all animals and all insects, and they were not good. Hmm. So you said uh, aquatic uh, insects. That's right. are, are there many aquatic insects? I, can't, I don't really know many off the top of my head. Of course, many, many, many. Aquatic insects, uh, especially, they're, for example, they're entire groups of insects. Yeah? They are aquatic. Think of dragonflies. Dragonflies uh, are aquatic. Yeah, it's only the dragonfly itself, the adult, that comes out. Yeah? It's a predator. But for months, the larvae lives in the water. It's a predator in the water. Right? Like dragonflies, we have carriage flies, stoneflies, mayflies, all these groups of flying insects that are very common around wet areas, whether it's rivers or, or lakes or whatever. Um, chironomids, which are midges, the midges, right, for example, the enormous diversity of midges, they are all um, aquatic. Many, many um, insects of the fly family or the fly order are aquatic. So they have most of their life in the, in the water. It's only when they become adults that come out to reproduce and lay the eggs in the next um, river or, or pond, and then they disappear. And but these animals are very important because they are an essential food source for innumerable bird species, frogs, lizards, bats, and all these animals that depend on these aquatic insects. Yeah. That's amazing. So... Uh, for many people, insects are more, just, they're just gross or they're a bit of a nuisance, you know, in the mosquitoes and the uh, midges, you just slap at them or, you know, if they're spiders, maybe objects of curiosity. Um, but what roles do they play in nature and how, and how, uh, in which different ways do they fit into, you know, the web of life and ecosystems? Well, in all ways possible that you can think of. So they are pro there's an estimated Six million species of insects alone. And you mentioned before spiders. Spiders are not insects as such. Oh, one sec. <laughs> so they are arthropods as well. Arthropods, okay. Yeah. Basic biology has, has, has left my mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we have insects, we have spiders, we have crustaceans like prawns and crayfish and lobsters, right? And crabs and all crustaceans. All these animals have a share a very similar physiology. Most crustaceans are aquatic, most of them. The spiders and insects are terrestrial. And then we have also millipedes and we have um, all these other animals that crawl, the creepy crawlies, and all arthropods, right? So only of insects, there are about six million species. We know and about one million, no more than that. So there are many more which are, we don't know where, what they are or uh, where they live, and they, are, they have not been cataloged. So you can think, why well, were there so many insects on Earth? Well, because practically there is a, at least one species of insect for every species of plant that exists, at least one, if no more. And then there are insects that eat other insects, and insects that eat also other insects. So it's a, it's a complete ecosystem in itself of Herbivores, um, predators, and super predators, right? So you need an enormous diversity of insects just to, to cope with the diversity of insects themselves. Okay? And spiders prey on insects as well, just to control them. Yes. Okay? So Good on the spiders. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So, yeah, so... All the, you, you can think in a forest, when a forest there are too many uh, structures, very complex, but you have insects not only on the, the trees and the shrubs, on the leaves, on the flowers, but also on the ground. Think, for example, of the cicadas that spend years as larvae in the ground, okay? And, and they only come out, again, just to reproduce, but they spend seven or eight or even 12 years on the ground. And you have, 
And then uh, the aquatic insects I mentioned before, which are an incredible diversity of them. <laughs> and even the, within the aquatic insects, there are groups that just, they are predators, they are amphibians, and, and they live underground, in, in, in the water, and they only come out just to, um, to get a bit of air. So there are many types. Um, in the soil, many larvae, not just the cicadas, but many other grubs, are constantly recycling all the, so all the organic matter that gets there into the soil. In the forest, for example, what happens when the tree falls to the, to the, uh, to the ground, when it's dead? Makes a sound. It's Sorry, just continue. <laughs> and, and it's eaten basically by insects. Insects um, lay the eggs there, and the larvae, they just will grind inside and will eat it up completely. Okay? And it will leave just the, the remains just to the fungi to do the, the last job. Mm -hmm. um, in the water, most of these caddis flies and stone flies and mayflies larvae, what they do is to recycle all the rubbish, organic matter that ends up in the water. So all the um, the waste that we produce and it goes eventually to the to the water is all eaten up by these larvae. So without these insects that live in the soil and the ones that live in the water, there will be no recycling of matter, not at the speed that we see yeah. in the ecosystems. It will take centuries and millennia to be degraded just by bacteria. Wow. So that, that's the main function of insects, is just to recycle all the mater organic material that falls into the water and, and the soil. And that's the major part. The rest, what we see outside, uh, the insects that we see flying and so on, is only a small part of the picture. Mm. But of course, they are very important because they are the food, the essential food for all these insectivorous animals that we know. Practically 60% of the birds are insectivorous. 90% of the, all the lizards are, or more are insectivorous. All the amphibians are insectivorous. Even many mammals, about 15 or 20% are insectivorous, especially the bats, the little bats. They depend on insects. Yes, for living. And fish, about 40% of the fish that live in the, in the fresh waters, in the rivers and lakes, eat insect larvae. So, if all these insects disappear, all these other animals that depend on them will disappear as well. Mm. And the animals that depend on the other animals will disappear as well. Yeah, yeah. So they, they are just absolutely critical to a number of different systems and layers and layers or connections of, of different That's right. and ecosystems. Yeah. Oh, well, I, I didn't realize they did that much work. I know I, I knew intuitively that they did a lot of work, but I didn't realize that... And I think work is one is kind of in one way one good way of putting it because it's so exactly. useful. It's so and like mm -hmm. they do have value in of themselves. But if just just for us, the 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 value they contribute to just enabling our survival is um, it, it cannot be overstated from the sounds of it. Yeah, well, more specifically, yes. For example, think of pollination. Um, about seventy five percent of the food that we eat is pollinated by bees and butterflies and other animals and, and flies as well, 75%. So if we eliminate all these pollinators, of which most, most of them are bees, then we will be losing 75% of the food we eat. We'll end up eating only bread, meat, and little more, okay? We won't have fruit. We won't have almonds. We won't have um, anything, right? Just think of the fertility of the soils. The agriculture is possible because the soil itself contains a certain amount of organic material, which makes the plants grow. Without that, plants cannot grow effectively. So if that fertility goes, plants wouldn't grow. Now, that fertility is there because most of these insect larvae are recycling all the matter that falls there, all the dead plants, all the dead animals. Hmm? When an animal dies in the, in, the, in, the, in the wild, what happens to it? Well, it's eaten up by maggots and other things. That's what, what happens. They yeah. are all recycling, all this organic matter. And that goes to the soil and enables the next generation of plants to grow. Right? So it's essential. So we cannot do anything on this, uh, on this earth yeah, without insects. Insects have been here for more than 
400 million years. And since, well, since the very, almost from the very beginning that animals started to come out to, to the land. Mm -hmm. And during that time, they have colonized all the ecosystems possible. They have integrated themselves in those ecosystems in such a way that it's impossible to think of Earth, the ecosystems we have now without insects. Mm. They are tiny, they are small, but as you say, the work they do, we call it ecosystem services. Those ecosystem services that they, they have are so essential that we cannot do without them. Hmm. Have we attempted to estimate how much work they actually do and how, and if we have, how do we measure that? Well, it's been done in experimental plots just by measuring the mass of insects and going over years and so on. They are difficult studies and the, the estimates are very rough. Yeah, I can imagine. And then, of course, you can do it in soil, you can do it in water and many other uh, but yeah, there are estimates, and I cannot. I just don't have the figures with me. Yeah, no, fair enough. I'm just, I'm just curious because I'm just wondering how. Like, unfortunately, or for better or for worse, when we quantify these things, uh, people tend to react uh, better. They, they, like, if you have a number for it and you can compare it to different things, people mm. just intuitively can. It, it just helps with our reasoning. And I'm just thinking, if we were to try and quantify it, like the amount of work insects do, probably just you know, it'd be more work than we could ever do in like the history of you know, humanity and for the next, uh, you know, maybe 10,000 years, yes. even with all the nuclear power and all that sort of stuff, who knows? Yes. Um, in a way, if you bear with me, I can pull out some data I have here. Um, oh, please. Uh, the numbers of uh, the species that depend on them, which is about on average about 60% of the terrestrial vertebrates, as I said before, but... So you said 60% of... Can you just say that again, though, just for clarity's yeah. sake? Yeah, you can say 60. 60 or 65% of terrestrial vertebrates depend on them, uh, on the insects, 50% uh, of the freshwater fish, and so on. Oh, okay. So I have here a figure. It comes from a, a study. It's been estimated that insectivorous birds eat between 400 and 500 million tons of insects every year. <laughs> and a similar amount is consumed by spiders worldwide. Well, I don't know if that helps. <laughs> I don't know how this figure came about, but it's a humongous uh, That is figure. ridiculous. This is just- I can't even comprehend how many, like if you were to fill those with, fill trucks with insects, I can't even imagine how many trucks that would be. More than yeah. I'd like to imagine. <laughs> Yeah, so again, yeah, so this, <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, I cannot provide. No, 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 that's fine. That, that's fine. Um, so before we get into the main, the main topic, I, what is biodiversity and why is it important? <clears throat> biodiversity is, is a word that was coined about 20 years ago just to um, indicate the variety of a species of any group of animals or plants that live on Earth. That's it. So by biodiversity, when we talk about biodiversity of a forest, we are talking about the, the number of species of plants and animals and fungi that live there in that ecosystem, right? So certain ecosystems like forests are very rich. They're very diverse because they integrate a, num a great number of species, of also of insects, of uh, birds or vertebrates of any kind, of plants, of trees, shrubs, little flowers, everything. Whereas other ecosystems like uh, prairie, prairie or meadows well, are less diverse because they don't have trees or they don't have all the variety of animals. You know? So that when we talk about biodiversity, we are talking basically about the number of living species of all these different groups that can coexist in one particular area. Yeah. So with biodiversity comes what you could consider like ecological complexity as well. Well, of course, biodiversity indicates uh, ecological complexity is one of the measurements we have to indicate. Well, uh, this is very, this area is very rich in biodiversity, which means it has an enormous complexity of living structures. Mm. And, and is is it the case that the more complex a an ecosystem is, the more resilient it is? Exactly. And the reason for that is because in nature, usually we find what we call redundant species. 
species that have the same role, that fulfill the same uh, job. Yeah? But, um, well, when you say, when, when, when not to have, it would be better to have just one species for each role. Yeah. But that's not, that's not very clever because if one of those species collapses, then who is going to do the job? Yeah, right. So it's better to have what we call redundancy, several species that can do the same job. They may compete among them, but what happens is if one of them goes extinct, the others can replace them. Yeah. And the functionality of the system persists, right? It's the same as in a human societies. Yeah, it's like a yeah, community. Yeah, it's, it's exactly the same thing. So in nature, every species fulfills a particular role. It fills a niche, which is, um, well, what they eat and the place where they live, the area where they, they uh, dominate. If it's an, it's an animal and the plants, they are stuck in one in particular um, place, they cannot move, but they are important because they have a different physiology that enables them to produce different um, fruits or different uh, uh, structures huh, that allow other animals to live in there. So each one of these has a, a species of animals and, and plants have a very specific role to fulfill. Unfortunately, because that <laughs> there are several species that do the same role, then the ecosystem can survive no matter what. So it can come, you know, a disaster of whatever, a bushfire, or some, and many of the species will disappear. But there, there is always some survivors in any group of animals, and then they come back and they recolonize and then they restart again. So the more uh, diversity of a species that we have, the more resilient the ecosystem will be. It will be easier for the ecosystem to recover under any stress that we may um, induce, whether it's natural or human use. Yeah, it sounds like we should uh, take some lessons from nature when it comes to how we structure our, our market economies as well. Yes. <laughs> Anyways, exactly. No, but I yeah, think market economics is a very natural way, actually. Uh, the market economy is natural. It's just that... It's competition amongst... Uh, exactly. Amongst firms, yeah. yeah. Just like insects. <laughs> the reason why the governments don't want to have a monop uh, companies that are monopolies is because of that. What happens if the monopoly collapses? It will be a disaster. So it's better to have a few... A few supermarkets, Woolworths and Coles and so on, so they can compete among, among them and bring the prices to a, a proper level, which are, which are affordable for people, for the, the clients, but at the same time, they will survive. Yeah. yeah. So earlier on this year, um, you published a review of 73 studies um, on which basically looking into the decline of insect populations and you found that 40% are threatened with extinction. Uh, can you talk to me uh, a bit about the review? Well, I might correct you first. Oh, yeah, of course. 40% of the species that were in those studies that we reviewed are declining. But declining? Only, yeah, only 30% okay. 30, 30 of them are threatened. <laughs> Only 30%. Oh, that's not... <laughs> so there's another 10% which are declining at the moment, but not so much. And the, the difference is very simple. It's just a, there's an organization called the, United, uh, the International Union of Conservation of Nature. And they have scientists that have been monitoring the survival of species and extinctions in all groups, mainly vertebrates, of course, birds and mammals and so on, because they are the more noticeable animals, but um, also in insects. So and they have a classification, and they consider that a species can be uh, considered threatened with a species with extinction when the decline over a certain period has been greater than 30% of the population. That's the only reason. Now, if a species declines uh, more than 50% of the original population, the declining numbers. Over what time scale? So the scale is, so you start, for example, with a population, let's say, um, 30 years ago or 50 years ago, a population of a species, whatever the species is, and we know what the population was, and now we have only 70% uh, of that population, that means that that species is, can be considered threatened because it has lost 30% of the individuals, right? Okay. If, if, if it loses 50%, it's uh, considered um, 
um, how is it called? <laughs> I forgot another word. It's endangered. Okay. Endangered. So threatened, endangered. And if it loses 70% of the original population, it's critically endangered. And more than that, of course, yes, it just goes into extinction very, very quickly. So what we determined was that 40% of all the species of insects that have been studied are declining. Of those, 30% of the species are threatened. And they are on the way to the extinction. Mm. How long it take? We do not. But they are on that way, on that road to extinction. Um, we couldn't calculate accurately how many of them are endangered and how many of them are critically endangered. But some of them have become extinct in complete regions or countries, and critically endangered species in those regions are very common as well. This is a small percentage. So that's the reality. So uh, what happens is, among all that million of species that we know of insects, 400,000 are currently declining, right? <laughs> And 300,000 of them are what we consider threatened with extinction in the near future. Again, we cannot uh, forecast exactly when that will happen, but they are on that road. Okay? Yeah. It will take months. So that's a, tra a tragic uh, reality, but it is like that. Mm. And what are the main drivers behind this, uh, this decline? Uh, yeah, one of the things we did uh, by analyzing those 73 studies was to consider what the authors of the individual studies thought that the main reasons for those declines were. I must uh, say, first of all, the authors of the individual studies, they didn't look just at the declining species. They studied whole groups of insects in one particular country or one region. And from there, they were able to determine how many of those species were declining, how many were stable, and how many of them were increasing. There are a small percentage of species that are increasing in all countries, between 5 or 10%, mm -hmm. right? That's why, you know, among that 60% of the species pool, 5 or 10% are increasing at the expense of all the others that are decreasing, <laughs> okay? It's just the balance of nature. So we look at what uh, these authors or those studies thought they would be the causes. And of course, the, there are many reasons, because depending on the areas where the studies were uh, done, uh, there are different causes. For example, if we are looking at the tropical areas, deforestation is a very important uh, driver. If we eliminate all the forests, between that, we eliminate thousands of species of insects at the same time. So the populations of many of those insects are declining simply because of that. But if we go to the, in the same area, for example, in tropical regions, if we go to agricultural um, farms, they apply enormous amount of pesticides in the tropics, much more than we apply here in Australia or in developed countries, because they don't have regulations. And they kill everything possible. So the declining of a species in those agricultural areas is very dramatic. Right? So pesticides is, is a main uh, driver and is particularly associated with agriculture in all countries, whether it's tropical or develop, uh, undeveloped countries or uh, developed countries like in America, in Europe, or uh, Japan, and so on. Uh, so insecticides is a main. But there are also other chemicals that um, causing problems for uh, especially aquatic insects, industrial chemicals, from mining, from uh, industries, um, uh, from runoff from urban areas, which contain a lot of uh, residues of toxic chemicals, which simply eliminate many of these aquatic insects. In, in Central Europe and, and in America, that's very noticeable. And many species have disappeared from entire regions simply due to chemical pollution. Not just pesticides, but also industrial. Um, and then we have also, in some cases, um, biological factors of many kinds. The most notorious is what we call the biological invasions of introduced species or yeah, invasive species, many cases. For example, in South Africa, in many rivers, uh, certain species of dragonflies are endangered simply because they introduced the uh, rainbow trout many years ago. And the rainbow trout eats uh, um, larvae of many aquatic insects. 
including those larvae of the dragonflies and many others, right? So the dragonflies that were in South Africa, they were not used to the rainbow trout for millennia <laughs> until they were introduced. So they couldn't defend themselves. And they are all disappearing simply because of this introduction. In New Zealand, it's interesting. Uh, in New Zealand, they have a problem with the possums. Here in Australia, many people think the possums are very cute animals and so on. But in New Zealand, they are considered a pest. Well, possums are omnivorous. They eat fruit, but also they eat insects, larvae, as well as big insects. So in New Zealand, because of being an island that has been isolated for thousands of years, there were a special group of uh, um, uh, call this one? There's a group of um, beetles, ground beetles, called carabids. Carabids. Tiger beetles, they call it in some places, or, yeah, or rogue beetles. Or carabids. And these giant carabids, they're very big in New Zealand. But how Huge. big are we talking? How big? Like size of an apple? Like a, like a mandarin? Like a, a big beetle. And some like a big beetle. Yeah, okay. Let's say bigger than the many of the cicadas, even bigger than that. Yeah. Well, they are so big, they are very uh, easy to spot. So possums like these cannabis, <laughs> these beetles, and then they are eating them up. So many of these species of giant beetles are disappearing because the possums are eating them. You know? Yeah. So that's so we have deforestation, agriculture, use of pesticides, chemical pollution, introduced species, and of course climate change as well. Yeah, it's uh, been demonstrated in some cases. Well, the most recent one is a study that was done in Puerto Rico, in the land of Puerto Rico, in two nature reserves. And these uh, scientists have studied the composition of the insects in those areas 30 years ago, 37 years ago. In fact, they had analyzed how many species were there and they had measured. Excuse me. Anyway, so I'll repeat again. So in Puerto Rico, these scientists, so they did a survey of insects and other animals as well. Um, I think they were reptiles, and kind of lizards and amphibians, 30 years ago. And they did it again two or three years ago. So it's more than 35 years apart. All right. So by comparing the data they had in the surveys done a long time ago with the recent data, they realized that between 75 and 95 percent of the insects had disappeared. They are not talking about the species because they couldn't identify, but they're talking about the amount, mm. the amount of sheer mass of a species captured eh, by traps. So that's what we call biomass. So it's an enormous decline of insects. Yeah which means that that affects all the, the species that live in the, in the forest. In the, they analyze also the canopy, the, the ones on the ground, and the ones in the, in the, in the trees. So they have different uh, traps for, for these uh, areas. And these are the numbers. And they correlate very well with the decline of birds and lizards and amphibians in the same forest. Yeah. Because those animals, those birds and those lizards cannot live if they don't have enough insects. Now, the same, so why, okay, these studies, um, they agree with similar studies done in Germany and in the, in the UK, where they measure basically the same, where more than 80% of the insects have disappeared, right? Insect biomass. But the reason why I mentioned this in, re, in regard to the climate change in Puerto Rico is because the authors think that one of the reasons why the, most of the insects have disappeared is because of the normal cyclones that they, they have had in the last few years. Cyclones that have pro been produced because of climate change. They are more frequent, they are more devastating, they are enormous, they have enormous force, they destroy forests, you know, basically. Well, I mean, we, we huddle up in homes and hide away. I mean, these insects don't have that, don't have that pleasure, they don't have that luxury, so they just get picked up and taken away by the winds. Yeah, exactly. So, so that's why climate change is affecting that. Um, in other cases, climate change doesn't affect much the insects because the rising temperatures, for example, is beneficial to many insects. They do better under warm climates, right? Mm. Particularly here in Australia, which is a warm country. We've got plenty um, of insects. 
Yeah, uh, but in tropical countries, in the rainforest, for example, that's not so good. And apparently, an increase in temperature is devastating for many species. They cannot reproduce properly, or uh, there are many other diseases associated with it. Insects have diseases as well. They also get viruses and they get <laughs> killed. So the increase in temperature is not good for them. Mm. In other cases, climate change, what it does is expands the populations north, north uh, towards the north, Pole or to the south, so to the to the poles, because as the as the, the the earth gets warmer, so there's more room for all these species that are adapted to warm climates. So yeah, but however, for example, in the tops of the mountains where many species are adapted to cold uh, environments, that's not very good. So they, they they cannot move up. So there is a moment in which they cannot go anywhere. You know, so it's it's all these uh, mixed. Uh, effects of climate change. Yeah. So when you spoke to ABC television in Australia earlier this year, um, you said, and I'm quoting now, uh, we are not alarmists. We are realists. We are experiencing the sixth, the sixth mass extinction on earth. If we destroy the basis of the ecosystem, which are the insects, then we destroy all the other animals that rely on them for a food source. It will collapse altogether. And that's why we think it's not dramatic. It's a reality. So I know you've already done this um, partially in this conversation, but could you uh, paint a picture of what a collapse could look like? Like what could the world of 2040 look like if there was a collapse? Yeah, well, it's not going to be in 2040, okay? The collapse could be um, at least 100 years away from, from us. But okay. yeah, the, the picture is there will be no flowering plants or very few left, only maybe in the tropical forest where birds and, and bats can pollinate the plants, but all the other flowering plants that we know, including the majority of the fruits that we eat, will disappear because those plants need pollinators and those pollinators are basically insects of all kinds, bees, butterflies, some beetles and flies, what we call hoverflies. <laughs> So that would be one, one consequence. Another one would be um, what I said before, that all the animals that depend on insects as a food source will disappear, will tumble. Yeah. As, as we know, it has happened in Puerto Rico, in those forests. It has happened, and it's happening in many in, in this country, in, in Australia. Um, I, I, do, I belong to the Birth Australia um, Association, BirdLife, sorry, BirdLife Australia. And I read in the, the articles that appear in the magazine that we receive quarterly. And there's a lot of reports of many species of birds that are declining. And many people don't understand why are they declining. Well, if you look at them, most of them are insectivore animals. They are declining because they are starving to death. They are not having the food that they should have. Mm. So, and, and that happens. So this is it's a way checking that here in Australia we are also having problems with insects. Even if we cannot assess the populations of insects, we can assess the populations of the animals that depend on insects, and we can see that they are disappearing as well. Mm. So that's birds, but as I said, 13% of the mammals will disappear, 50% of the freshwater fish, 60% of the reptiles, 65% of the birds, 100% of the amphibians, and 100% of the spiders that eat insects, right? So all these animals will collapse altogether. And the consequence of that is that well, we will have a world which will be very, very different from the world we know. Um, together with that, you just can think of the accumulation of um, dead organic matter, dead trees, shrubs, plants that will accumulate on the soil simply because there are no insects that are capable of re re recycle that organic matter. Um, the same thing uh, uh, in the in the water. So there will be the waters will be choked with a lot of rubbish that we produce. It won't be recycled, uh, and there will be no no insects and no no fish that depend on the insects as well. Eh? So yeah, there will, yeah. will be dirty waters where probably there will be many diseases appearing, many fungi. Of course, that's one thing. The ones the winners of all this would be the fungi, all the mushrooms and all the uh, diseases that are produced mostly by fungi will grow enormously. So that's a, a real problem for health, you know. And as I said before, so in agriculture, it's not just pollination, which is important, but it's also the, the fertility of the soil. So the, 
the fertility of our soil will decrease because there will be no recycling of this organic matter and it will be more difficult to grow crops. Yeah, we can use fertilizers or uh, industrial uh, chemical synthetic fertilizers, but they, they are not as good uh, for plants as the natural fertilizers, which are basically all this organic matter recycled by insects and other animals. So that would be part of the picture, of course. So, yeah. And, the human, and the human side would just be like hundreds of millions of people could potentially starve to death just by virtue of the fact that we might, we might, we may not be able to produce enough food because well, we of pollinators or, or, at least, or at least not the diversity of food. And again, uh, we need to have diversity of food. So if we only eat rice or wheat uh, and, uh, and meat and we'll get sick very soon because yeah. that's not enough. So we need a lot of vitamins that come from plants and other, and other animals. And so that diversity of food that we have in the currently uh, is essential for health. Without mm-hmm. that, you know, we'll be exposed to many more diseases. Yeah. But would, it, would you say that I'm being a bit of an alarmist by saying that um, a lot of people could potentially starve to death by, because of insect population collapse? Uh, it's a bit it's a long stretch, uh, I would say, because we have other ways, as I said, okay. we still can live from, we can live from fish from the ocean as long yep. as they're still there. Yep. <laughs> we can live from meat, we can live from wheat and all the okay. cereals. Well, that is, I mean, even though like just even though the it doesn't look too good, that's still good. To, like, it, that, that's very good to know because I when I'm when I'm thinking about insect population collapse and you know the just the catastrophic language that comes with it, I just think well, if they do all this work and um, you know they're so central to all these different ecosystems, perhaps because we're towards the top, if the uh, if the if this if, if it all crumbles, then well, we fall with it. So I was uh, I was I'm curious if that was actually if that might be the case. Yeah. Yeah, but again, you remember, so yeah, we have put that and the, what I said to the ABC <laughs> that you just reminded me, um, it's amazing. Uh, it's very accurate. It's, it's real. And so it will have effects on, on us as well as a society. First, because of what I said, the lack of the food diversity will foster more diseases. Um, the lack of, just we won't be as healthy as we are now. Mm-hmm. Mm. So many people will get sick. That's that's obvious, and there will be not enough food. Yeah, in many ways, it's true. Okay, that that will be the main consequence for us as a human population. But remember, so we are always very um, capable and resourceful, and we can find ways, no, of, of overcoming. Course. Of course, and we have done all throughout history. So our, um, you know, forebears they. Uh, they ate all the mammals and all the big animals in Europe and in other areas. And, you know, and when they finished with them, they, they moved to another species, no? And the, the little ones. And so we're still here. <laughs> so we are, For now, we, yeah. we are talking about resilience. Here we are, no? So, yeah. <laughs> so it, you know, the report states that we need prompt, decisive action to avert, you know, this um, catastrophic collapse what does that actually look like? What sort of radical changes are necessary? Well, one of the reasons why we analyze the causes, the main causes of the, of the drivers of these uh, declining populations is because by doing so, we can pinpoint which ones are the most important drivers. We can categorize them and we can prioritize. And the first one we realize is agriculture. The extensive agriculture, which means we are uh, invading other ecosystems and transforming them into agricultural fields, and particularly the intensive agriculture. So once we have done that, we uh, apply a lot of chemical fertilizers and pesticides, and we eliminate all the weeds, all the rodents, all the animals that can interfere with the crop. And basically, we are converting just that field into a, f- a factory, factory to produce the food that we want. So that is the main driver worldwide. It's not just in developed countries. It's also in developing countries, in remote areas of the Amazon eh, or Africa or even in Southeast Asia, everywhere. That's the main driver. Second driver is, the, the, as as I said, the chemical pollution, mainly because of agricultural pesticides. 
in particular, insecticides which are designed specifically to kill insects. We cannot forget that. But also herbicides because it kills the weeds that provide the food to the insects. So the two combined are a big source, a big driver. And the third one is some biological factors, invasive species that displace others or can have these negative effects in, in water as well as in, in land. Climate change, of course, yeah, is, is a fourth uh, main driver. Uh, but as we can see, there's not much we can do because for many years we'll still be uh, using fossil fuels and then we can replace them completely with other uh, sources of energy. And as there's no willingness in, the, in, in most countries to do so. So unfortunately, there's an area which I am very negative about and I don't see a solution. But what we can do is to, to tackle the first driver, which is the agricultural intensification. That we can do it quickly because we already have the know-how and the technology to do it. And in many areas, it's been practiced. And again, it's not just that the organic agriculture is practiced in certain areas of Australia or Europe just to please the, uh, the picky um, people in the cities that demand organic food. It's not that. In many developing countries of Africa, South America, and Southeast Asia, they find uh, what we call the integrated pest management of agriculture the most useful, the most productive, and the less costly alternative to this industrial agriculture. And there is a lot of studies done recently that prove that that's the case. There's more productivity and less cost to the farmers in doing what we call integrated pest management. Which integrated means, pest management, okay. Yeah, integrated pest management was developed about 50 or 60 years ago in California when they realized that this, the disaster that uh, the new orga organochlorine insecticides were causing in the, in the crops. Instead of, oh, yeah, of course, they control certain pests yeah. uh, when they were applied, but they didn't realize that that uh, insecticide applied not only destroyed the pests, but it destroyed all the natural enemies of the pests, mm -hmm. that crop and, and the surrounding crops. So not only the pests came back and grew up in large numbers, but also all these other animals that were controlling the, the, the pests in the nearby um, areas, they disappeared and they didn't come back because they were more susceptible, because their lifestyles were not as um, short as those ones. So it was born in California at that time, about 60 years ago, and it was spread all throughout the world and it was very successful for many years in many countries. But recently, the chemical companies have been going against that. What they want to do is not to use the natural enemies that help uh, protect the crops and they are beneficial for the crops. But what they want is to use as many chemicals as they can because they make better profit. And they are convincing them through their, their consultants and other um, people, they are convincing the, the, the farmers, the poor farmers that don't know how much as understanding that that's the best way to produce food. But it's not true. The best way, the most efficient and the less costly is disintegrated. I say it's called integrated because it uses chemicals but only when they are needed, and only in small amounts, and chemicals which are not damaging for the environment, which we have them. We have them. There are. There are chemicals like that. But there are other chemicals which are really, well, disastrous, and they're very toxic, and they're very, and they're the ones that had to be eliminated, right? Do you think it requires a government directive or a global government directive, if, if possible? You know, if, if we could have some global law, or even if it was just passed nationally everywhere, do you think that that would be necessary? Uh, in certain cases, it would be good, but it's practically impossible. So it's, that's a dream. <laughs> it's a dream because each country has its own laws and its own regulations. It's just the regulation has to be done better. Chemicals has to be assessed based on better data. And that's yeah. the problem. The data that are used for registration are not good sometimes. They are skewed or they're insufficient. Most of the time, insufficient. Mm. So the regulators don't have enough evidence of what may or may not happen. Okay. So I advocate that so that we have to go back to this system of integrated pest management 
that is still is, is used in many countries and is very effective and is very good. But we have to really foster it and we have to make it the norm. At the moment, it's not the norm. It's only practiced by a few farmers that I think, because they tried it themselves, they think it's the best way to go. But the others don't believe it until they try it. So it's a matter of trying and be convinced yourself. <laughs> they did that in Indonesia in the in the 80s and 90s when they have enormous failures of crops simply because they used too much insecticide. And President Suharto had to ban them all except for four compounds. They were the most. So it was only because of that, a complete ban of all the, the industry, that they were able to recover the crops. And how did they do it? Well, people from America and other countries from here, from Australia, went to Indonesia and taught the farmers in a practical way how to do this integrated pest management by teaching them about spiders, about uh, natural enemies or the insect pests that they had in their crops. Okay? And tell them how to recognize them. And, and, and they told them, well, what you can do is go grow rice in this plot with insecticides and grow rice in the other plot without. And check yourself the difference. And they did. And they realized that the one without pesticides had produced more than the, other, the one with pesticides. So they themselves were convinced of that. And it was so successful for 15 years or so. But how were they able to do that? Well, because the Indonesian government banned the pesticides. They were dangerous and also gave incentive to the farmers and to uh, all this personnel that went there to educate the farmers and to do it. So there has to be an incentive from the government to promote integrated pest management, to make it the norm in agriculture. Mm. We'll be, all be better off. We will produce as much food as we do now, or even more, but we won't be damaging the environment. That will be essential. Mm. Because we think that agriculture occupies 12% of all the land on earth, right? It's a lot. It's a significant amount. Right? So if we are able to do that, we'll be conserving many insects and all the other animals around them. So I'm, I'm just mindful um, that we're getting close to wrapping up here. Uh, if anyone in the audience uh, wants to go and find out more and they're very curious, um, where would you recommend they, they go online to, to do some more research? Research. <laughs> well, it is, I wouldn't call it research, just to, yeah, to find out um, information about what the insects do or how important they are. Um, online, um, I haven't searched much online, really. I only look at the scientific papers because that's what uh, I'm yeah, that, That's fair enough. That's fair enough. But, but there are um, entomological societies in all countries. Yep. In America, here, here we have an entomological society and they have meetings, for example, regularly, once a year or so. They usually publish uh, certain journals. Unfortunately, those journals are uh, by subscription most of the time. But some of them, some of these journals, especially lately, are available online to most people. So it's just a matter of Google yep. and some words and finding, you know, and there is a lot of information in some open access journals. Okay. And, that, and they're very good information about that. Yeah. If we, if people wanted to, how could people uh, change how they act day to day, be it through their spending or, or whatever, to perhaps have a positive impact here? I mean, would buying more organic food be useful, for instance? Or what, what are um, <clears throat> yeah, some things well, people could do? The organic food is a bit different from the integrated pest management procedure, but organic food doesn't use any pesticides. It's, it's going to be always very uh, a small part of the food that we can eat. Okay. Uh, it's expensive. Not everybody will eat, uh, will, will like it because sometimes it doesn't look as good as the other one because maybe you got uh, insect bites or something, you know. But nevertheless, yeah, it's an important part of the equation. Uh, so to foster people to do to do shopping yards and to buy only organic food. I don't think that's the... It's not going to have much... It's impact. not going to happen, no. No, but it's not going to have much impact in the way. There's limits to that, all right? I mean, um, one thing, and the most important is what you mentioned before, is to educate yourself by looking at uh, 
the important role that insects have on that. At the moment, well, that's something that I mentioned to some people. What we have to do is educate our children in the schools. And instead of telling them, well, insects are all a nuisance, that you have mosquitoes, and you have cockroaches, and they, they transmit diseases, and they do this, and they do that, and they pest for the crops, and so on, we only show the negative aspects of a small number of species. Remember, I said before, we know about a million now. How many of them are pests? Well, only 100, 200. What's that compared to a million? Nothing. So the majority of the species of insects in any, anywhere in a crop are not pests, right? So we had to tell that to the children. We had to tell them that those insects that are, for example, I went recently to Japan and we were visiting um, an area near Tokyo, a couple of hours drive from Tokyo with rice paddies. And the rice paddies on the plane, they, they had a lot of insecticides applied to them. And when you drive there and stop and have a look, you don't find but dragonflies, you find very little insects. You look at the water, yeah, it's clean, but you don't see much. We continue a bit further onto the slopes of um, uh, terraces where they have rice grown on terraces, the old style, where they use very little insecticide or none. And the diversity of insects was incredible. Uh, we were there just to film. <laughs> mm -hmm. a team. And these people, the cameraman and so on, they were surprised because they were telling them, look, here you have uh, this animal is a predator of this and that. The other one is a predator of the pest. The other, we only saw one insect that could be damaging the crop. All the other insects that we saw that were probably 10, 20 or 30 species, none of them were pests. On the contrary, they were beneficial animals. All right. So that's the difference. That's the difference that you see between an area that's treated with pesticides and the other one is not. And but you you find information about these animals, what they are, what they do there, then you will realize how important they are. So education. So we had to educate children. And the reason why we went to that place is the, the owner of that, the farmer in that area says that they bring school children there to teach them. A traditional agriculture, and to teach them that all these animals are there simply because we are not using chemicals. That's the main point. Right? But also they teach them what they do and why they can see these butterflies and the other because you know there is an integrated ecosystem which is alive, full of life, not disturbed. So we have to understand what is the role of insects in those, uh, not just in the crops, but also in the forest and in other ecosystems, in the water, in the rivers, in the ponds, lakes, and so on. And don't focus just in the nuisance species, which there are, of course, <laughs> we can, there are, but focus on the others and try to understand them, try to know more about them, see how many of them are there, what do they do, you know? And if you look closely, many of them are really beautiful. They are really amazing. Again, when I was in Japan, I was walking through a, a, one of the parks in Tokyo, full of tourists and the Meiji Park. And I found this uh, jewel beetle that had died because they don't live long, okay? And that, it just was there on the ground. And it was fantastic, it was marvelous. The, the, the colors, the, you know, brilliant cars they had. It's called jewel beetle because of that. It's like a jewel. Yeah, jewel beetle. Yeah. So it's, you have to, to show those things. And the best way to do it is through uh, education in primary school. Yeah. Because kids in primary school, when, when they get the things right, they will carry that image of what they learn in the primary school for life until they become old. And, and that's very important. I think that's the main thing we have to do. Um, do a proper education where we teach uh, the, the, the children, not just only about um, whales and koalas and things like that, which are important, but also about the important role that these have and how beautiful they are. How beautiful are the butterflies, the jewel beetles, many uh, beetles themselves, uh, dragonflies, the diversity of insects that we have take them to the museums regularly to show them, look, this is what they are, this is what they look like. Eh? Take them to these um, special farms, which are 
they are just uh, as a model farms mm, to show others mm, how things can be done, you know, without altering the ecosystem, right? That's the kind of thing that I would I would say is the most important at the moment. Yeah. All right. Well, Francisco, thank you very much for, for taking the time and for uh, for doing the important work that you're doing. Thank you very much. I think you'll have to do a lot of editing. No. But, no. I mean, I'm tempted to edit out my mistake of the spiders <laughs> calling them insects. I'm, I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> You're not the only one. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, thanks again for tuning in. You can find the show notes for this episode at talkoftoday.com. If you'd like to get updates on new episodes, you can do so by subscribing to my newsletter on my site. Uh, That's either talkoftoday.com or samhbarton.com. Or you can follow me on social media. I am Sam H. Barton on Twitter and Talk of Today on both Facebook and Instagram. If you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with whoever you think might get value out of it. Uh, rate it and review it on iTunes or just head to Sam H. Barton slash support for more information. Thanks again for listening and until next time.